Hello everyone. Uh, thank you so much once again for joining Ukrainian Spaces. We're happy to be back. Valeria, привіт. Hey, I'm so sorry. I'm a little bit delayed. Uh, was running, but I'm here now. How are you? Slava Ukraine. Hello, I'm Slava. I feel particularly proud of saying it this week. I know there's been a lot of losses as well, um, but a lot of wins for Ukraine. So. Yeah, I I have this kind of uh, character that um, it prevents me to celebrate much. I uh, I feel like I will have the opportunity and the right to celebrate when this genocide is over and uh, when you know we meet in Yalta, Luhansk, and then we celebrate the fuck of it. But at the moment, it's just I feel like. I know that from some people it's great to celebrate, but for me it contributes to these extreme emotional um, ups and downs. So for me it's like, okay, yeah, I appreciate it and it's great for, of course, the people who were liberated after six months of this genocidal fascism, but we also remember the price that we keep paying with so many lives um, lost bring that victory and bring that liberation to Kharkiv. Yeah, I think if it, like, I mean, the bottom line is if Russia didn't invade, none of this would have happened. And this is exactly why we're here, because Russia didn't invade just in a vacuum, but uh, it invaded as a sort of a result as well of a lot of centuries of colonial rule and colonial practice and rhetoric and everything around that. And so um, we here try to talk about that and make sure that everyone in the world knows about the fact that there's a long history of kind of domination and colonization within our um, region as well, that it's not confined to only certain countries in the world and Russia is not um, separate to what is happening. Uh, Why don't we, we... Yeah. jump straight into uh, Maxima? I'll, I'll give you the honors of, of introducing our guest and jumping straight into that conversation. Um, yes, Anka, uh, can you unmute yourself, please? Hi, I just you did. <laughs> Slava Ukraini. Heroem Slava. Um, we were so excited about this conversation and we were trying to um, make it happen for a long time. Um, we have a golden rule for Ukrainian spaces, uh, despite that I have like tons and tons of fangirling about you I would like to share but we have a golden rule that our featured Ukrainians introduce themselves all the time so could you please do that and tell everyone else who you are what you do and maybe a bit uh, how your life has changed in the last six months since the genocide started Absolutely. But before I even get there, I just want to say thank you both uh, for creating this space. Um, I mentioned it to you earlier that I just had no idea how much I needed to hear other Ukrainians from uh, basically all walks of life, you know, not just kind of like one stereotypical um you know, representative of uh, Ukrainianness, but uh, all kinds of Ukrainians from all over the world. You're like doing God's work right here. It's every time I listen to the podcast, I just feel like so held and heard. And I literally just like speak out loud, like, yes, oh yeah, you know, like it's, it feels so good to, um, to hear yourself represented in all these different faucets of being Ukrainian. Um, that you. said, my name is Anka Lavriv. I am. Uh, I was born in Vila Cerkva in Ukraine. Um, I uh, moved to the U.S. when I was 19. Um, I moved on uh, the wonderful program called Work and Travel, which <laughs> I believe still exists and. Uh, it's kind of a miracle because uh, I have so many stories of like how um, how just horrible and dangerous uh, this program is. Uh, but yeah, we, we won't get there. Um, it got me to uh, move to the U.S. And my my journey um, as an immigrant was a pretty, pretty sad and long one. But um, honestly, 
what you know in context of what's happening right now i'm starting to understand what the purpose was behind uh all the turmoil and hardship and as for so many of us uh i got to see myself in a different light and um you know my my personal awakening as a ukrainian started about 5 years ago um and of course this year uh, escalated it so so much my whole family um you know they right now my mom my 10-year-old nephew my sister and my dad they are in germany with some family my parents are getting ready to go back to ukraine um and half of my family is uh, back home you know my grandmother my brother-in-law my cousins um so it's you know as it's been said so many times every single person who is ukrainian or of ukrainian descent um has been touched by this tragedy in one way or another i don't think there's any anyone who who has not experienced some kind of heartbreak or loss um this year and i feel like all of us got to experience ourselves in a very very different light you know it's one of those things where you you truly get tested by by something like this most people can't think of anything more horrific than a war you know i remember growing up and my my grandmother who was born in world war 2 said not nothing really matters the only thing that truly matters there that there's war like other problems can be solved mm. but the war is the the one problem that you know is unsolvable in a way yeah in a way that even if it ends you know the the collective trauma the collective baggage the I mean this is a mark for our generation for sure for the end until we live yeah and... and for generations to come yeah but you know um i kind of went on a tangent um i am a tattoo artist i am a visual artist i am um a sobriety advocate for uh people who suffer with addiction um I think these these things would be like the three big ones that define me. I don't really like to be defined, but <laughs> I will use these. Uh and of course I'm a, a Ukrainian. And um I feel like it's it's been really interesting connecting with other um uh, Ukrainians abroad and getting to hear everyone's story because um you know this the, it's a really interesting space to be. where you you aren't really considered to be Ukrainian anymore by by a lot of of Ukrainians and it's so heartbreaking and you're not really considered to be you know wherever you currently living and um I just yeah. I just really wanted to you know kind of like center this in our conversation because I feel like it can be applied to both um points that I would love to talk about is you know the the aftermath of coloniz- like colonization by Soviet Union for people as for example you know how I saw it in my parents and also the experience of an Ukrainian immigrant or immigrant in general I feel like the thing that connects these two for me is like a loss of soul and then the journey to you know to truly find who you are in in a circumstance where you know things aren't very defined um it's kind of a path that you have to carve for yourself um my parents were both artists my dad's a musician my mom was a visual artist um you know we we had a lot of our own problems because i feel like i was born in 86 two months after chernobyl exploded in an affected zone you know it's just life was very hard 
Oh, you're eight to six, baby. The yeah. same as like me. Yeah, I was right. just born yeah. two months before, and you're two months after. Yeah. So I, it was I, it was I, just sorry, survival sorry. mode. It was like a true survival mode. It was one thing after another, um, and you know, I I talked to my parents. Like we didn't have that kind of like warm and fuzzy connection, but I really appreciated that. You know, they were like very alternative, even for um, for like the, you know, their kind of situation. Uh, but I felt like I remember my mom told me once that uh, she just always felt like she had to repress her truth and she had to like parrot these like I love Lenin, I love St- Stalin, where uh, she never had any connection. She never believed in this. Uh, she would, you know, both of my parents were not fans of Soviet Union. My father is from Western Ukraine, from uh, Ivano-Frankivsk region, and his, you know, his whole family was uh, basically killed, sent to Siberia for uh, being opposed to to Soviet Union. Uh, so yeah, they they were not delusional in that way. Yeah, as, as almost I think, as I correctly remember, especially for um, those of our listeners uh, who are do not know, when Russia reoccupied and colonized Western Ukraine, I think they sent over two hundred fifty thousand people deported to Siberia uh, in you know in several years, and it's uh, on top of those millions they killed before. saying that I was forced to speak things that were untrue to me personally like they didn't align with my personal truth and um, that really really resonated with me and I always just felt like you know our generation we we definitely experienced stuff like this for example you know with the language um, I remember speaking Ukrainian as uh, growing up because my dad was like pretty adamant about, you know, like we have to speak Ukrainian. My grandmother spoke Ukrainian, you know, just like uh, exclusively. And then going to school and kids being like, ew, like saluchka, you know, like uh, being like you're a village person, you're like a peasant, like the cool people speak Russian. Right? Yeah, the yeah. stereotypes. <laughs> that we yeah. keep mentioning here all over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I was like, I, you know, I don't want to be ostracized. Like, it's easier for me to just like blend in and fit in. And I remember experiencing this and just feeling so sad because, you know, of course, now I'm analyzing it and I can put two and two together. But I feel like that was the first time when I f- like viscerally felt that feeling of, um, n- you know, not being aligned with your truth and like bending over uh, to fit into societal norms. And uh, it didn't feel good to me. <laughs> and uh, little by little, I feel like my resentment just like grew. Um, I just didn't understand the, the place where I was living. I... Uh, I really aligned with like Lesa Ukrainka, Lisova Pisnia was my favorite book. My mom sent it to me and it has like my childhood drawings all over it. I was just like walking around with it. It introduced me to folk magic, which is still a really, really huge part of my life. Which we'll um, ask you about shortly a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, you know, my sister and I used to go Kuladuvali, you know, my grandmother taught us all these traditional folk songs. I played Bandura in music school. So that felt real to me, you know, that felt uh, felt very true. And then um, as I became a teenager and started, you know, Uh, being embarrassed of these things and trying to fit in, my resentment just grew bigger and bigger. And I just decided for myself that this was not my place and I had to leave and I had to find something else. 
and um yeah and then you know being a person in immigration experiencing immigration it was just the same heartbreak over and over and over of just feeling like I just don't belong anywhere. For example, when I moved to Brooklyn, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Brighton Beach. <laughs> and oh, my God, was that an experience? Um, it was, you know, um, immigrants from mostly Soviet Union and their their children, and they would literally say like oh are you from Roshka and um, I would be like no I actually never been to Roshka and uh, it was just like well it's all the same thing you know so for me it was just like I have to leave um, I tried to connect with the Ukrainian community that's like more in Manhattan and upstate New York but I also did not fit in there because it was very like family traditional values oriented and as a person who's like bi and not super into like you know traditional family structures I just didn't feel the connection so I was just like all right I'm gonna try to make it happen with like the artist crowd in New York and I feel like that was kind of the most connection I felt but I tried to assimilate so hard, but obviously, you know, people would hear my accent and right away ask, where are you from? And uh, for, for a while then, it was just like so frustrating because I just didn't want to explain over and over and over that Ukraine is not in Russia. Ukraine is not a part of Russia. You know, it was just like, well, it's kind of the same thing. Can I, can I ask you follow up here? Uh, was it a bit also part of a shame in it because like I'm extrapolating because for, for me not discussing my Ukrainian identity when I became a migrant was was linked to that because for me it was something I was ashamed of maybe not a lot Maybe yeah, oh, lot. absolutely. Yeah. You know, because uh, the stereotypical image, uh, especially in the US is, you know, thanks to all the movies is like a really angry person in Shopka Ushanka with a bottle of vodka, you know, very backwards and just grim. Uh, so yeah, of course, I didn't I really did not want to be associated <laughs> with the stereotype. Yeah. And, you know, it's also like I totally relate. I think like this thing that you're talking about, it's such a under kind of noticed thing about feeling like you're not fully there when you're in Ukraine. You're not fully like, you know, you feel mm -hmm. a certain way. And then you're as an immigrant, you feel similarly, but differently in a different location. And then it's like yeah. what Maxim said as well, trying to I mean, for me, it was exactly that. It was like trying to hide my identity almost because for me, it was always, I just didn't want to have that conversation about yeah. like, oh, so you're, so, so where are you from? Like Ukraine. Oh, so that's close to Russia. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but you know, I just didn't want to even go there, which is why for <laughs> such a long time, I like did everything possible to like not look Eastern European, not sound Eastern European, not, you know, just fully, fully push away my identity. But I wanted to ask you and it's totally fine if it hasn't because I think all of us have different experiences of what has happened since February 24th but mm -hmm. has any of that changed at all for you um, and I know you spoke a little bit about finding people who are similar to you like people who are living abroad who are Ukrainian but has has any of that experience of being an immigrant a Ukrainian immigrant abroad changed for you since February 24th since since the world sort of woke up to how cool Ukraine and Ukrainians are mm -hmm. Yes, and there was like a really kind of long lead up to that. I think for me, things started turning. Um, I ended up living in the US undocumented for about nine years. And it was like a really grueling experience. And I couldn't see my family for 10 years. They couldn't come see me. And finally, when I was able to come back to Ukraine, um, I just felt how different things were. And it was just... Um, you know, it was like such a huge monumental difference between when I left and when I came back 10 years later. Um, and 
it really made me feel very, very different about um, how I viewed Ukraine. Um, and I really started uh, diving deep into the folklore, into the, you know, Ukrainian magic and Ukrainian symbolism. My uh, grandmother is a huge influence on me. She, I call her a witch, but she would be very upset if, <laughs> if I said it to her face. But she is an herbalist. She's like a very spiritual person. She, she's like a very animistic person. She just talks to everything around her. She's so connected to nature. You're basically describing all our grandmothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes absolutely she had like a column in a in a local newspaper about holistic healing and healing with plants um but i'm not gonna go on too much of a tangent um let me bridge what i was <laughs> trying to say but yeah um that was the beginning of this journey to me of reclaiming my Ukrainianness, and um, the more I started learning about this the the soul of our nation the our folk traditions are you know and just even remembering them and like really reliving of how it felt to to do traditional stuff to sing traditional songs my husband bought me a bandura, so I've been relearning how to play. Um, I started putting uh, these like online classes together uh, with this incredible platform called Seagrape uh, Apothecary, um, who's, which is run by a Georgian immigrant, Maria. And she was so encouraging. She was like, why don't you teach Ukrainian magic here? So we've been collaborating on these classes for about four years, and I just keep falling more and more and more in love with uh, our beautiful traditions. And throughout this time, particularly since the invasion, I have never been more proud to be Ukrainian. Um, the, the work that volunteers are doing, the work that every single one of us, no matter where we are, is doing right now is beyond inspiring. And it let me, you know, I'm the I'm a person of action. Like it makes me really, really upset when there's nothing I can contribute to. And I've been using my art prints um, for like six months now. I've been I've had the sale running. And uh, I was able to raise over $30,000 and send it to Ukrainian volunteers, which feels, you know, I'm not like, I don't want to say it as like a braggy way, but... I can just, tell you that's amazing. Not braggy. It, totally. <laughs> it's so important to me to see that support behind me. You know, it, it hasn't happened in a vacuum. There were people who were buying this physical product that's like, you know, it's just like a piece, pieces of my soul that I've been sending out in exchange of this, you know, this like money energy that I can contribute to. Like, to me, that is magic, you know, that is uh, that this is like a real witchcraft. Can I can I ask you a quick follow up here? Because we had we touched uh this topic several times in Ukrainian spaces and actually we had a fantastic episode together with uh, Tatyana uh, Bedford she's with us here um, Denford sorry uh, she's with here us and uh, you know we discussed how is generally witchcraft is so embedded within the Ukrainian culture how to the point that these days we even use it to kind of scare Russians away there are many viral videos of uh, you know russian soldiers being uh, threatened that ukrainian witches will cast a spell on you and you know whatever will happen horrible things and they really believe in it not that that it's not true but also it's a it's a it's a it's a good reminder of the bulk of our culture and there are so many research 
interesting research and stories about it. About our culture related to this female empowerment cultures been erased by Russian colonialism for centuries. And this is the part of the history of female empowerment that was systemically destroyed by Russian colonialism when it comes to Ukraine. But for you, like when you exploring it in your art, and I mean, you're a fantastic artist. You're also a very popular artist. I mean, I, I pinned a tweet with a, uh, with anyone who is not aware about your heart, please check uh, Anka's Instagram because this is just visually stunning. But when you kind of try to uh, incorporate in your art, why you think it's important to do? Why you think it's important to keep visualizing? Why it's important for the rest of the world? to learn more about it? What do you find it for yourself there? Yeah, that's a great question. I love this question because as a person who's uh, 100% visual, for me, it's like so much easier to interpret um, information via images because I'm like a very, very emotional person and I feel like I can grasp, you know, when, when it's information that's um, relayed by, you know, by a story or um, just like oral kind of like, you know, like a either on paper or oral, um, I can definitely grasp kind of like the, the gist of it. But for me, I truly understand like the where the person's emo how the po person's emotional state was and like kind of like maybe maybe sounds a little uh, over the top, but I feel like I, I understand the person's souls a little better when I see an image that they created. And um, for me personally, uh, the, the way that I think we should all really elevate folk art is because it's, it's the art that bypasses intellectualization. It's, um, it's the kind of art that just tells you about the person's like emotional landscape and the person's inner um inner landscape and i don't know i just feel like i get a glimpse of a person's soul when when i see certain images especially the images for example created by uh ukrainian folk artists like maria Prim primachenko you know she's a genius uh, it's it's just so difficult to create these images that are again so true and uh, so aligned with person's soul uh, without you know trying to impress anyone without intellectualizing it without you know I just don't respond to art that someone has to explain to me what it means I'm just like uh, okay <laughs> you know I have no emotional response yeah. to. It. But uh, for me personally, I never really create my art from a place of trying to like tell a story. I uh, mostly use, you know, these like female beast protagonists to, to again convey my emotional state. And I think there is like sadness to my art, but also like a very uh, like an armed sadness, <laughs> you know, it's like the, these female spirits that I would say were greatly, greatly influenced by specifically Lisova Pisnia, the Song of the Forest by Lesa Ukrainka. And if you haven't read it, like, what are you even doing? Like, you have to read it if you're Ukrainian. Um, and I feel like this this book in particular really, really affected me as an artist. And also um, the book that I had had these like beautiful, uh, like lithographic, I think that's what it's called, um, illustration to it. And I feel like it's honestly single-handedly um, affected and inspired my whole aesthetic. Uh, and yeah. Uh, sorry if it didn't make much sense, but no, it did. Of course, <laughs> no. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, it did so much. Yeah, it did so much sense. Uh, I I kind of uh, 
you know, a bit hesitant to talk about it as a, as a guy because I feel like Ukrainian women have so much ownership over it. And not that there are no male, what do you call them? Warla? Yeah, Morifare, yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, regarding Morifare, um, I, uh, I I have with us Tatiana, and uh, she's part of Ukrainian Spaces family. Um, I pinned her fantastic thread from a while ago on um, on Ukrainian witches and why it's important for Ukrainian culture, and um, she had a fantastic question for you as well. Uh, Titana, before you go, wanted to remind everyone else that Ukrainian Spaces is 100% sponsored, listener sponsored. Um, so if you want to also have an opportunity of being in front row and ask our featured Ukrainians any questions, please become our Patreon sponsors, join our Patreon family, and then uh, you can ask uh, questions uh, directly during broadcast or uh, leave them in the comments on our Patreon page uh, and we will ask them for you. Today, yeah. there's an absolutely overwhelming amount of patrons and people who support us um, at our spaces. So Anka, thank you for bringing all these people together. I see Maggie, who just got us our NAFO membership, Nat, <laughs> Stas, Oleg, and Maria, who was with us for, for a long time, but I think now as well, is back to listen. But Tatiana, please go ahead. We couldn't have asked this question without you. You came up with it, and Maxim and I said, we can, we can only do you justice if you ask it yourself. <laughs> oh, exactly. Um, hi, Anka. Hi. Um, it's, it's nice to speak to you, actually. Not really in person, but, um, you know, <laughs> we've always had little chats in our DMs, so it's nice yeah. to see you on here. I'm so excited about this topic. Um, so you were talking about Murfari. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm because like I it's funny my whole life my grandmother and um, my mother in particular um, we are all when you say Vidma it's funny it's been so mm -hmm. kind of um, it's such a it's a word that's been turned around and actually um, we are you know like we're mm -hmm. so um, so I was going to ask you because a Molfar is a, a person that uh, has magical abilities and can heal people with herbalism and folk magic. I don't know if you know that it, uh, you may have read it or seen it. There's a book by Mikhailo Kochubinsky called um, Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors. Yeah, we had to read it in school. See, right? Okay, good. Yeah. So, and it popularizes this. So, like, do you have you always considered yourself um, part of the Molfari? Do you feel like your ink and like the, the designs that you do and your beliefs help tell a story, not only about Ukraine, but for people who need to feel like to believe in a kind of power and magic within themselves because you do it for you. So I'm imagining that that might affect like how you empower people when you do your art or sell your art or draw on them. Thank you for this question. It's really awesome. I, uh, no, I have not. Um, I went through a really kind of like really long and hard journey of finding myself and finding my voice. Um, I always knew that there was something there that was like worth expressing, but I just, um, I feel like I just had these layers and layers of social conditioning to shake off before I could really tune into my own voice. And um, I think being in New York was very, very helpful for me um, to kind of like uh, find these people who would help me uh, get on this journey and truly find myself. And I could see examples of incredible artists, you know, just kind of burning their lives down for this specific specific thing of just like connecting with themselves and getting rid of everything everything they own everything they identify with um, just to reconnect with their true voice so for me it was a really long journey I uh, I struggled with addiction and I just feel like it was like a very um, very strange experience for me 
because again i just felt like there were so many things imposed on my identity that um i couldn't hear myself uh i i couldn't see myself for who i was uh it was just too too much distraction um and when i started reconnecting with myself is when i got sober and i truly saw myself for for the mess i was and how confused i was and how I didn't know who I was and I didn't really know my soul. Um, And it took a while to rebuild, you know, piece by piece, uh, this like bridge with my, you know, higher self. And I'm still working on it. You know, I can't say that I'm like some realized person, especially since the invasion, you know, I feel like. A lot of us thought that, wow, I really got to the place of love and light. And then all of a sudden you're like watching that telegram channel where there's like Russian soldiers are dead and you're like, you know, getting joy out of it, which is a truly scary thing to experience. And, you know, being able to witness that about yourself, like, wow, I am capable of such hatred yeah. Uh, so there's it means that there's still a lot of work to do. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like an immediate connection. I feel like uh, I could hear my my true voice somewhere like strangled uh, under all the layers of these false narratives. Uh, mm. And it really helped me, you know, not lose that thread. But uh, I can't say that it was like a natural thing for me. No, but, you know, to to that point, do you find that, you know, all of us, I think, individually are are in the process of kind of rebuilding ourselves and our Ukrainian-ness, you know, Mm -hmm. suddenly, Mm -hmm. you know, and I wonder, do you turn to that, you know, magic, that morphari, that kind of healing, that art, do you find that that's your anchor now? Are you grateful that you have that because it's kind of really teaching you who you are? Yeah, it's been a huge part. It it just feels healing. It feels like coming home. I'm right now putting together uh, a class for the Sea Grape Apothecary in November on Ukrainian protective magic. And, uh, you know, just like gathering all this information about uh, various traditions from various regions of Ukraine. It really feels so healing. Um, and, you know, it makes me feel inspired to how can we use these traditions and maybe, you know, there's obviously some stuff that's very outdated and um, it doesn't apply to uh, our modern lifestyle. For example, you know, a lot of Ukrainian folk magic is about marriage and love and like all of that stuff is great but for a lot of people there's you know they have other aspirations and they would like to use magic in different kind of like uh different angles and um different um just corners of their lives so i feel like it's it's so important for us as you know younger people to carry these traditions and maybe you know adapt them um, and I don't think anything in life or magic is rigid and, you know, it has to be this way. It's kind of like cooking. It's, you know, you take a recipe and you make it your own. Um, and that's the beauty of it. You know, I don't I don't believe in rigidity. I believe in our free will. Um, <laughs> that's why yeah. I don't really believe in hexing anyone because... You know that will always <laughs> bite you on but the butt. But in a way, we promised everyone else that we will cast a spell to, to, to kill. But I, I think we've already done it. I mean, in a way, Anka, I so love your story because I think one hundred percent it resonates with everyone else here who is in Ukraine, outside Ukraine, and maybe other non-Ukrainians who also have migrant backgrounds. In a way that's so powerful that you didn't have to come home to return home and you've been and you have returned home in the last six months powerfully reclaiming something 
that was stolen from you, that was you know, that you were conditioned to be ashamed of it, and you reclaimed it in a powerful way, and you found your way home. And I think eventually, like in my head, that's the the baddest, the most kick-ass uh, spell against colonialism you can possibly find. And it's and- so funny, like you said that, I'm sorry. Um, it's really interesting that it's like a pattern in my life. Like, for example, choosing tattooing as a profession where there's no defined path. You kind of like, you maybe get an apprenticeship or you maybe teach yourself. Like every single person has like a different story because there's no school to go to, to, you know, get an education as a tattoo artist. Um, every single person has their own path to get to where they are. And I feel like uh, this is very similar to um, to me being a tattoo artist. It's just kind of like, well, you just jump in the deep end of the pool and <laughs> find your way back to the shore. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing I think when you were saying as well about like, you know, before and after and the last six months versus life before that, I think one of the things that we've been talking about at Ukrainian Spaces for such a long time, as well with other people who have joined us, is that we've all realized that there's like a diversity in our experiences of being Ukrainian. Like there's no one way of being Ukrainian. There's three million different ways. And, you know, each one is just as valid as the other one. And I think that's what what's, I think probably, you know, we had a time capsule episode where we left like, you know, like... um wishes for the next six months and I, I if i went back to it i would say now your your converse, conversation with you has really like made me think that actually we really realize that there's no one way of being ukrainian wherever we are whoever we are but there's like three million different ways and we're all moved by different things and and you know it's it's just such a beautiful thing to to um to see kind of really rise to the forefront but um i wanted to ask you one of our i know we only have a uh, a couple of minutes well 10 minutes left so we still have some time but i wanted to ask you because our audiences as well i know there's some very very um uh, audiences that know a lot about this topic that are here today i can see them a lot of people have been listening for us for a while but a lot of people who join us join to also educate themselves a little bit about ukraine for people who might not know necessarily the same stuff we do the stuff that comes you know that we naturally know just by virtue of being ukrainian but um for those who know nothing about ukraine what do you think would be like your top two favorite things about like witchcraft and mysticism ukrainian witchcraft and mysticism you'd like people to know oh my god so many but i guess i'll i'll do two you can and... do three you can do three <laughs> <laughs> just the way how everything is so visually stunning you know you don't have to like guess or explain or intellectualize it you have these like incredible palette of colors the 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 symbols you know even if you just take like traditional embroidery to me traditional embroidery is absolutely magic and you know it's really funny because i have seen um some pushback and you know it's a completely valid point um to uh, my classes and classes that other people uh, teach who take it through like a magical lens um and you know people who are skeptics and they say like these symbols don't, uh, symbols don't mean anything it's just you know just kind of like um a, a visual thing just like an um embellishment it has no meaning and whoever claims that it has meaning um is insane <laughs> and you know i get the point i respect everyone's beliefs i respect people who are completely secular i respect people who uh, believe in higher power and spirituality but um i truly think that it's like meaning is whatever the person makes of it and if believing that these symbols um mean certain things and will bring magic into their home into their clothing uh what's so bad about that (laughs) you know um so back to the topic yeah just the being stunning visually um ukrainian magical traditions are so sometimes so 
twisted and interesting that you just think like, wow, how did people even come up with it? Um, and the, the last thing that I will bring up is using um, folk song as, as a huge, huge part of magic. You know, for example, if, if you know, traditionally women are doing divination uh, around uh, New Year and Christmas, they always, you know, they always used to sing songs. And I feel like it's that, that human breath that breathes power and enlivens uh, whatever craft or divination that they're doing. And to me, um, again, tying it back with speaking your own truth, I feel like the flow of energy that, that you know, our breath and traditional song brings to work like this it just connects us with our ancestors connects us with our language our culture so i love that a lot of times in ukrainian magic the song is also present i don't know about wow. you but i'm running to buy lisova pisnia <laughs> again <laughs> I am the biggest Lisa Vapisnia advertiser in the world. We will, in one of our upcoming episodes, we will have uh, uh, fantastic Ukrainian publishers um, talking about the how we basically can uh, bring that fantastic Ukrainian publishing uh, and the books and Ukrainian books are often, you know, uh, a piece of art on their own. How we can bring it to to the outside world and. Uh, yeah, I think this is uh, is related to uh, literature and sharing it with the world as well. Uh, Anka, we're running out of time, and uh, but I we want to really to ask you our favorite question on Ukrainian identity. And I know, basically, you've already shared so much, um, but if you had to just explain it for a total stranger, what being Ukrainian means for you now, after these six months of genocide, and uh, how exactly has it changed in any way, what would you say? Um, being Ukrainian to me means um, maybe having fear, but uh, finding a way to contribute to, um, to your country um in the way that you're you have ability to i think that it to me became one of the most important things um and especially living in the u.s where everyone is just like always you know talking about the government and how the government sucks um and just you know there's a ton of incredible activists in the u.s of course but just like the general um, general idea is just like there's a government and there's us and seeing Ukrainians actively partaking um, you know taking part of their future and contributing to the well-being being of their country is very inspiring for me to see and also you know to me being Ukrainian is expressing myself fearlessly colorfully um, you know, just not having fear of self-expression and just like moving that energy of, um, you know, not being bottled up with someone else's ideas about myself. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I uh, thank you so much for sharing. I also feel like for the rest of the world, this is might be the most important story to get inspired and to you know to remember is that you know we often talk elsewhere especially in the countries where everything is all right and there is a, a privilege of comfort that the government is this the army is that but the that story of incredible ukrainian resistance is happening not because of the government or the army it, it, it is happening because of the people and we in the army on the front lines we have regular people from all across um, uh, the country from any kind of background imaginable just enlisting and going and fight 
And the same is happening behind the front lines on the volunteering. Everyone, there is no professional volunteering. Everybody contributes. So we stand because of the people. We stand because we are the country. We are the democracy. And uh, this is resistance, uh, you know, in the in the finest hour of, you know, democracy, and it shows why democracies matter. And just the last thing I want to say, super quick, is uh, I appreciate your podcast so much because we, as Ukrainians, get to see ourselves, you know, mirrored back to us. And I hope that uh, with our collective soul awakening through this horrible, like, fire experience, we stopped minimizing ourselves or comparing ourselves, you know, or uh, seeking validation from, like, Westerners and Western countries because we have our own thing and it's beautiful and it's inspiring and we just should just shake that off. We're not lesser than anyone. 100% 100% and thank you so much for sharing that as well and we're so honored to have you with us and, and as you can see so many people have joined us today uh, very happy to see people as well who are joining us not for the first time here with us because um, I think it's so nice as you said to see this sort of community build around some of these principles that actually not Maxim and I have been um, bringing to the forefront through this podcast but actually all of the people who have joined us over the past six months and including yourself and Tatiana and Stas and all it and including our growing Patreon family and for everybody else we were promising you to expand to uh, become better and bigger and this is exactly what Ukrainian Spaces is doing we're launching soon a content hub where we will help um, to create and uh, sponsor stories that educate the people about Russian colonialism in indigenous languages. This is something uh, we will share more details in coming days, but this is extremely exciting for us to grow as a project and uh, to help to bring Russian colonialism down together with our partners, not only in Ukraine, but globally, and especially in former Russian colonies. But uh, a special thank you for our Patreon sponsors as well. This you know, broadcast and podcast exists thanks to your support. And if you, the rest of you, you're not our sponsor, not part of our Patreon family, but you love this episode, please uh, join uh, our Patreon uh, sponsorship and help us to amplify more Ukrainian voices, amplify more diverse Ukrainian voices and decolonize some of the Ukrainian conversations online. And this is a live broadcast because we love the messiness of it and the unfilteredness of it, but it's been automatically recorded and later it's going to be uploaded as a podcast. So if you listen to this as a podcast, um, you can please share and most importantly, read and comment after this because it helps us to keep trending on podcast platforms. And we've we've already entered top uh, 100 in dozens of countries and in a couple you know a couple of countries were even top five so this is thanks to you and thanks to your listening but also commenting and rating this is all uh apart from one thing is slavo thank you see you next time thank you